heard and the impact that makes from Nehemiah chapter 8 and verses uh, 1 to 12. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, fulfills three jobs one as prophet, uh, one as priest, and one as uh, king. He is our prophet uh, to teach us, he is our priest to pray for us, and he is our king to rule over us and to defend us from our enemies. Now in Old Testament times there were many prophets and priests and kings. The faithful ones pointed forward to the great prophet and to the great priest and to the great king. They pointed forward to Jesus Christ. This evening we'll be thinking primarily about Ezra and his role as a prophet-priest, uh, as a preacher, a signpost to Jesus. When Nehemiah became burdened about the state of Jerusalem in the year 45 BC, the spiritual state of the, the nation, Ezra already had been around for about 13 years. He'd been living among exiles who had returned, and he served them as a faithful teacher and a faithful preacher of God's word. We're introduced to him in the book that bears his name uh, in chapter 7 and verse 6. And this is what it says about him. Then Ezra went up from Babylonia in the year 558 BC. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given him. And that's not said about many people in the Bible. And from beginning to end, here was a man who was skilled in the law of Moses. He was skilled in those Old Testament books that Moses had given. His life is summarized in verse 10 of the same chapter. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the statutes and rules in Israel. So that was, that was his goals, that was his objectives, but how, how successful was he? Uh, how, how effective was he? Well, in reading through the book that bears his name, we discover that his preaching <coughs> did bring about a spiritual transformation. An example of this is found in chapter 10, verse 3 of Ezra which reads, the people aware that they were spiritually wayward, repented uh, and resolved to live in obedience to God's word. And then it's, it's verse 3, then chapter 10. Therefore, this is what the people's response was. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God, those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. So there was a revival, a reformation, uh, commitment to walk in God's ways. Another example of Ezra's ministry that bore fruit is the manner in which the people responded to Nehemiah's challenge concerning the rebuilding project. For the, when the challenge went out by Nehemiah, they responded with one voice and said, let us rise up and build. And so we cannot discount Ezra's ministry which lay behind that. And they didn't only say that they would rise up and build, they actually did it. Rapid progress was made because, as we read, 
the people have a mind to work. No mention is made of Ezra up to this point in the book of Nehemiah. That is up to chapter 8. The rebuilding of the walls uh, had taken place during the 5th and 6th months, being completed on the 26th day of the month Elul. The setting of chapter 8 is exactly one week later. You see that at the end of verse 2. It's the first day of the 7th month, the month Tishri. Now that date was very significant because it was a feast day among the Jews. It marked the beginning of the Pacific New Year. And the feast was called the Feast of Trumpets. And associated with the feast was self-examination. With Jews resolving to live more upright lives in the following year. It's akin to some degree to our pre-communion service where we dwell in the text, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And if we have uh, backslidden in any way, well, then we resolve to live more faithfully and honour Christ more completely. Well, with that background, we turn now to this passage that we read and we see, first of all, the Word of God requested, verses 1 and 2, the Word of God requested Read in verse 1 that all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. The water gate was located in the middle of the wall in the eastern side of the city. The people had come from all the towns and villages and rural communities of Judah. They worked together as one man in the restoration of the the wall. Uh, they had stood beside each other against their, their enemies who followed them and ridiculed them. And so we observe a great sense of unity among them. The unity found expression in a common desire to hear God's word. This longing was clearly widespread in the community. It was a yearning to hear God speak through his word. But who better? Who better to satisfy this spiritual thirst than Ezra the scribe? His reputation was already well established because of his 13 years of service in Jerusalem. So we read in verse 1, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. And the clear implication is that not only did they want him to bring the book, but they wanted him to read from it. Now, since this New Year Day in the Jewish calendar was a time for self-examination, there was only one appropriate yardstick against which to measure themselves. And that was the Word of God. And so they needed to know the mind of God. That could only be discovered by reading God's Holy Word. The Word of God requested. what What a noble request that was. The psalmist in Psalm 85 made a a similar request, uh, verse verse 8, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. All kinds of voices today are clamouring for your attention. But there's one voice that you need to hear above all others. That is the voice of God. Bring the book of the law of Moses. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. 
public reading of the Bible is a constituent element of public worship. I know that every morning that you meet here, the Bible is read. And I know that every evening that you meet here, the Bible is read. It's a constituent part of worship. And remember that when the Bible is read, the voice of the preacher may be audible, but God is speaking. God is speaking. The people in Nehemiah's day, they understood this. Because when the book in the Bible was opened, all the people stood. And that posture showed respect. It demonstrated reverence. It communicated esteem for the holy word of God. Is that how you regard God's word? Do you have the realisation that when the Bible is being read, God is actually speaking? And God is not only speaking, but he is addressing you individually and personally. And that way God is making himself known to you. And sadly, many in our society despise God's word. And what is even more grievous is that some in the wider church community consider the Bible to be past its sell-by date. And they will be even heard saying that we need a fresh word from the Lord, as if the Bible is stale. What these people need to realise is that the Bible is always fresh. It is the living word of the living God. And so, it is always relevant. So to those who belong to God, it should never lose its appeal. The psalmist could say, the law of your might is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now there are people today clamoring for thousands of gold pieces and thousands of silver pieces. And you give expression to that by by spending their money on the lottery, hoping that they will be rich overnight. But we invest our time in God's word that we might be rich spiritually. The psalmist also said, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word of God requested. Then the word of God read, verses 3 to 6. Ezra did not disappoint the vast assembly of people at the water gate. He immediately took steps to fulfil their desires. Standing on a wooden platform, pulpit, <coughs> he had six assistants uh, to his right hand and seven assistants to his left hand. Since the reading took place from early morning until midday, it is possible that these men assisted Ezra in the reading. Before the reading began, we are told Ezra blessed God. He addressed God. He began with prayer. No doubt, yes, praising God, blessing God, but also seeking blessing upon the reading of his word. Remember what was being read, the law of the law, the book of the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It may have been 
some time since that vast crowd had heard the word. No one in those days had a personal copy. Handwritten copies were extremely rare and very expensive. The reading of the law for them was a unique experience. And as they stood there, they would learn about creation. Just think about this, the Genesis, the hear about creation, they would learn, maybe some of them for the first time, about Adam and Eve, made in the image of God, with knowledge and righteousness and holiness, with dominion over the people. They would learn about man's sinful rebellion against God and the subsequent curse that came upon the human race. Then they would also learn about the promise of a saviour and, and so on. You'd hear about Noah and the flood, Abraham and God's promise to him, a promise that was you know, renewed to, to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph and to succeeding generations. You would learn about Israelites' time in Egypt, there for 400 years. You'd hear about the Exodus, the giving of the law at Sinai, the years of the wilderness wanderings, and then the crossing of the Jordan into the Promised Land. A vast amount of reading. I was at the sea. But remember the context, a vast crowd, thousands and thousands of people standing in the open air from early morning, maybe from seven o'clock in the morning, maybe before that, until the middle of the day, until noon. And the crowd consisted of families, men and women and children. So we ask the question again, how was the, the reading received? <clears throat> well, verse 3, and the ears of all the people were attentive, attentive to the book of the law. I wonder how good are your powers of concentration? When we're sitting comfortably at worship, the reading of God's Word may consist of one short chapter from God's Word, which may take five minutes, seven minutes, uh, something like that. But the reading that New Year's Day, with everyone standing, remember, consisted of 187 chapters, taking about five hours to read, and they all listened with rapt attention. You have the Bible passage printed in the service sheet. And after it is read, you can follow it. Silently reading, along with the preacher, can help you to concentrate. Help you to concentrate on what is being read. These Jews didn't have that kind of support. But I believe we could be better. For sometimes, maybe this is only true of me, but sometimes our minds can drift. Sometimes we can get preoccupied with other thoughts and we're not truly attentive to the reading of the word. Well, I think it would help us to focus more directly on what is being said and what is being read when we remember that it is actually Jesus who is speaking to us and that Jesus is addressing us 
So the passage of God's word that is read. I think these Jews had that kind of concept because that's why they stood up. That's why they were such reverence. It wasn't just any old book. This is God's book. And this was God speaking. And I think we can see particularly the second person of the Godhead through the reading of the word. And that should give us, stimulate us, encourage us, spur us on to better listening to the word of God read. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Then thirdly, the word of God explained. The word of God requested, the word of God read, thirdly, the word of God explained. Verses 7 to 8. In Acts chapter 8, we read about an Ethiopian reading the Bible. And when he was asked by a man called Philip if he understood it, he said, How can I unless someone guides me? Well, Philip helped him then to explain to him uh, what the Bible, uh, the passage that he was reading, what it meant. That word of explanation was needed um, in the first century. It's also needed in the 21st century. And it was, of course, needed in the 5th century before Christ's coming. And Ezra was not only a skilled student of the word, but he was devoted to the task of explaining it, of teaching it, of interpreting it. During Ezra's 13 years in Jerusalem, he not only taught the people, but I believe he gave special training uh, to younger Levites. And now on the first day of the month, the month Tishu, several of these younger Levites proved themselves extremely useful. Thirteen of them are listed in verse 7, and we are told that they helped the people to understand the law. Their work is further explained in verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. The picture we have here is of these Levites intermingled among the people, working with them in small groups, making sure that they understood what Ezra was reading. And what they were doing was not merely informing the mind, but also through their interpretation and application of the word of God, smiting the conscience and challenging the will. And we come to that conclusion because of what happened as a consequence of this exercise of reading and preaching. Because we read of tears in verse 9. And we read of reformation in verse 12. We'll come to that uh, in the last point of the sermon. So here we have, in what Ezra and the Levites were doing, a model for preaching. There's always been a need for men to teach the word of God to others. This situation in the days of Nehemiah demonstrates that what Paul pointed out to Timothy, that part of his ministry was not only to, to preach the word of God to the congregation in Ephesus, but he had a particular responsibility to train men who would succeed him. Uh, 
Second Timothy two and verse uh, chapter two and verse two. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So that's what Ezra had been doing. He had been uh, teaching faithful men who then in turn were able uh, to help him to teach others also. That's what we're attempting to do with the Reform Theological College. Those of us who have been appointed to the, uh, by the church to teach have the responsibility to train faithful men in their understanding and in their interpretation of the Word of God so that in turn they may teach others also. As you know, we have three there present, and we all ought to be praying that God will raise up uh, more men so that in the intake of 2021 20, we will have a good number of men for the ministry. The Word of God requested, the Word of God read, the Word of God explained it, finally, the Word of God effected, verses 9 to 12. It should be said, the word of God is always effective. It always accomplishes its goal. Concerning his word, God said through Isaiah, it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, we don't always see the fruit that the word produces. That sometimes is hidden from us. Maybe the effect will be apparent when we're gone, when we've left the scene of time. But here we do see the impact. Here we do see the effect of the word of God. We read in verse 9 that all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, we might ask the question, why did they weep? What caused all this crying? Well, we're not told precisely, but remember the occasion. It was the Feast of Trumpets. It was a time of self-examination at this outset of a, a new year. And as they stood in the square by the water gate, the Word of God had been read, it had been explained, it had been applied to them. And they wept. They wept, I believe, because the Word of God exposed their sins. They wept because the Word of God exposed their faults and their failings. They were not all that they ought to have been before a holy and righteous God. And so they wept. And that will always be the effect of God's Word on those whose hearts are tender, on those who seek to be faithful to the Lord. So I wonder when was the last time that you wept because something read from God's word or something preached from God's word smote your conscience and you realised that you were disappointing God and you, you were bringing some shame from the name of Jesus Christ. All the people wept. The reaction of Ezra and Nehemiah to this weeping we might find somewhat surprising. Verse 9, they said, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And then in verse 11, the Levites reinforced this message. In fact, their, the Jews were encouraged to be joyful. And the verse 10, Do not be grieved. 
For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, so how could they? How could they be joyful when guilt before God was dominating their thoughts and producing these tears from their eyes? Well, they could be joyful because of what was before them in the near future. Because if you know your Jewish calendar, the Feast of Comforts is followed very quickly within about 10 or 12 days by the Day of Atonement. Now known as Yom, Yom Kippur. When symbolically, the sins of the people were laid in a scapegoat and carried off into the wilderness. All who looked to the substitute, all who looked to the substitute that God provided, enjoyed full and free forgiveness. For them there was an unqualified pardon. That scapegoat, however, did not actually take away their sins. That scapegoat pointed to the one who was to come, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, whom John the Baptist pointed out, beareth away the sin of the world. Have you ever been convicted of your sin? Have you ever been overwhelmed with guilt before a holy and righteous God? Have you known great sorrow in your heart? So that so much so that actual tears have run down your cheeks. Well, if that is the case, remember what happened on the cross. Jesus Christ is the scapegoat. Jesus Christ suffered and died to bear away the sins of his people. And so if you're looking to him this evening, weep no more. For your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus, clothed with the perfect righteousness that Christ has lived out for you. Grief for the child of God has therefore been replaced with joy. And it is a deep-seated everlasting joy that is ever bubbling in your soul an ever-bubbling spring of joy. And that's still there, irrespective of the troubles and trials and tribulations that may be inflicting or affecting your life. And if you have this joy that comes from knowing Jesus, then you will discover that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It keeps you going through the, the, the thick and thin of life. It motivates you when Times are hard. Ezra was a great preacher of the word of God. He pointed forward to Jesus, our Redeemer, who teaches us today, tonight, through his word. Always seek to be attentive to the Bible being read and preached. Always seek to respond appropriately, and then you will know true blessing, God's blessing in your life. And we conclude by reading James 1 verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And we want that to be true of all of you, to be blessed as you live out God's word in your life from day to day. Amen.
Well, we're turning now to Psalms with the 19, part 5a. Teach me, O Lord, your statutes way, and I will keep it to the end. Give insight. Help me to understand what the passage is about. Then I keep your law, and not, not in a light and frivolous way, but to it with all my heart attend. Lead me in your commandments path, for in it I do find delight. Incline my heart unto your laws, not to gain what is not right. There are many worthless things uh, seeking to attract our attention or uh, to cause us to, to part with some of our, our hard-earned cash. And turn my eyes from worthless things. Give life to me in your own ways. Your word make to your servant sure, and I will reference you always. Psalm 119 is a section that us praise God. Help us to do so now, 
uh, during these days of our mortal flesh. Help us, O Lord, to be looking to your Son and to be motivated by him and to serve him faithfully all our days. We thank you for Ezra and for his attachment to your word, for his diligence in studying your word, and for his desire to teach others also. And we do pray that you would raise up many Ezra's in our generation who will indeed be men like him, but principally men like Jesus Christ. Apostle Lord, to love your word as the psalmist did, and to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. Part us now with your blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Oh,